HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. Another week, another show. Another week, another show. Another St. Patrick's Day coming up on Friday. Holy moly. You know, every time St. Patrick's Day comes around, it sneaks up on me. Um, and what really sneaks up on me, not to like, you know, divert the conversation right away, but that means that only a few days later, Amori Margo's birthday. What day is the birthday for Amori Margo? It's one of those. One, March 21st, 2011. Congratulations, man. 12 years. 12 years. I don't think I've ever done anything for 12 straight years. Or as I always say, six happy years at Amori Margo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's back, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Um, listen, I know we've been kicking off the episodes lately with some news, and here's some breaking news for you. Uh, and I don't think you've uh, read this article, but the ChatGPT, they just came out with a fourth model, so ChatGPT4 exists. Uh, and here's the thing. It has passed the LSATs, uh, the SATs, and those are you know pretty kind of standardized tests. You'd think that, of course, a, an AI model would be able to pass those. However, it scored a whopping 92% on a test that's not so easily standardized, uh, the Court of the Masters Sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, ChatGPT knows more about wine than you and me combined. I mean, that doesn't really surprise me, but I don't know. It's It's just, it's so odd to think of a machine that, doesn't even understand the concept of taste, being able to just pick the right words out of a word salad and throw them on a on a page and pass the test with flying colors, it sounds like. I mean, I guess what this says to me is that human beings are pretty predictable, even in a world that seems subjective. You know, we've already seen ChatGPT create all these art pieces, and I'm curious if it can be subjective enough to understand and uh, at least, you know, um, put together words 
to pass the test of the quartermaster small is could it also be not just an art creation machine but an art critic i mean i suppose it could i mean it's the whole you know a computer that plays chess can beat some of the best uh human players there are but like it's not gonna understand what chess is it's not going to be able to does it know that it's playing chess and it's mm -hmm. kind of the same thing with with wine like it's able to understand all of the words that human beings use around wine but is it able to actually like it doesn't really have any idea of what the fuck wine is which i think yeah, is really right. interesting you know it um it kind of reminds me of uh the best technique that i ever found for selling a wine that i really didn't care about i was running an event at at a brewery mind you and i was running the satellite bar and i had this like very very well curated selection of um you know beers from all different types of the country and like you know because we were doing it was a fundraiser for um uh, a certain politician actually that was in the news mm. earlier this year mm -hmm. um i'll let you all glean which particular uh representative from california i'm talking about but he's from the party of politicians that are known not known for their intellectual curiosity about things because everybody <laughs> that came to support him had no interest whatsoever in the beers i had curated from this particular brewery all they wanted was the red and the white wine that I just kind of threw on the back bar at the last minute. I'm like, yeah, in case anybody wants one of these. It was just over and over, red, white, red, white, red, white. And I got so tired of describing these things that at one point a woman came up to me and just goes, is this white wine a sweet wine? And I had this weird out-of-body experience where I just watched myself say to this woman, well, now, I'd say it has sweet notes but I wouldn't call it a sweet wine. And I'm like watching myself say this. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm saying nothing. But yeah. the woman just goes, oh, that sounds great. I'll have that. And she takes it and walks away. And I'm like, I could do this for everything. I could yeah. do this for everything and just never have to actually work to sell anything to anybody again. And that's kind of the chat GPT model. Like you can, it can put together the right combination of letters and syllables and sounds to air quotes describe these wines but it's not actually saying anything i don't know what that says about the future of our jobs souther but it's just kind of interesting to know that like maybe there is something that's always held in reserve for humans who can actually do these things and taste it and try it and experience it and communicate it or maybe maybe we'll be like the luxury product you know if you want your the what the the robot's going to be doing the wine recommending for like I don't know, food lion and will still be working at, you know, the the Laberna Dens of the world recommending wines. I don't know, maybe. Or maybe we're all doomed. I'm I'll I'll time will tell. Listen, lot to unpack there and lot to unpack still with ChatGPT as it continues to grow and get stronger and bigger, but I guess my thinking is uh, it's fun I think for the makers of these things to put them to these tests. But when is it going to get start getting used for like I don't know what I would consider maybe borderline evil. <laughs> Meaning, when are we gonna have chat GPT, uh, you know, stock pickers? When are we gonna have chat GPT, um, you know, gamblers, you know, that, that, that can generate, uh, you know, that can think much faster and more deeply than a human being about like, which team is gonna win? You know, when are we gonna go down those roads? I don't know. And I mean, part of me wonders if we're already kind of there. I mean, we use, a lot of AI in our lives already, right? And there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, it's 
what am I trying to say here? I've I read some study where in field after field after field across multiple different disciplines, human and AI pairings consistently outscored pairings of two humans and two AIs, mm. which I think gives me hope. You know, the fact that there are things that these machines can do so much faster than us that we rely on them for. In fact, we rely on them every time we pull out the supercomputers we carry around in our pockets, mm. right? But there's still going to be room for, you know, human judgment, human knowledge, human ability to taste wine and food and have some input on that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it is, it is, um, it is scary. This is why a number of different countries and the EU currently have ambassadors to Silicon Valley, like actual people with diplomatic uh, papers that are ambassadors to tech companies. Um, but it's also weird, you know, I mean, we all remember the articles over the last, what, 20 years of like the robot bartenders are coming for your jobs. <laughs> and we see yeah. these like faceless pyramids moving around behind the bar and like bumping into shit and like spitting out these terrible Manhattans. So at the very least, I think this particular field is safe. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe if not. Coming, if they're coming for us, they're coming very slowly. Yeah, exactly. The the artists, the writers, the musicians, the screenwriters, everybody, you know, every every creative out there needs to be really afraid right now. But us bartenders, we're gonna we're gonna be just fine, Southern. Nothing, nothing beats a bartender. Oh yeah. Uh and also, you know, as fast as we're creating Chat GPT out there, we're we're equally creating um, you know, maybe not equally, but we're still out there creating human beings. <laughs> I'm searching for a segue for you. I love he's it. This, I love he's it. He's in a virtual studio with us. You, you, think I'm gonna, you think I'm going to let you off the hook with that segue? You got you got to introduce them now. You got to show your work, Souther. Sure. Uh, well, in the virtual studio today, we've got um, Michelle and Sean from Kingfisher down in uh, Durham, North Carolina. But Michelle also has with her, we can see her on the screen, little Claude, the, the newest addition to the team. Welcome to the studio, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks. Nice to be here. <laughs> we were, I was waiting for Claude. I was waiting for Claude to answer first. Yeah, I was. I was hoping for a little, a little noise from from him. Uh, well, it looks like he's being well cared for and pampered and sleeping, um, which uh, is probably something you're not getting to do these days with uh, with that freshness around. You get enough. Uh, I get enough. Oh, good. Uh, well, congratulations on that, and welcome to the studio again. You know, you you guys and I have been chatting for a while. I looked back through our history. We started talking right near the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, back in 2020, um, we did a, I think we did an online, you know, Instagram live or some sort of thing, uh, back then. And, and that's sort of where our relationship began. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what you've got going on in Durham, North Carolina with your now three projects, Kingfisher being sort of the linchpin of them all, right? Yeah. Um, so we, we opened Kingfisher, uh, three and a half years ago now, uh, in late July of 2019, um, Kingfisher is a uh, farm-driven cocktail bar. Um, it's a really wonderful space uh, that a lot of people have enjoyed over the years. Um, uh, not to brag, I guess, but we we also just Ooh, got nominated that's, for it. That's why we're here, Brad. <laughs> we got, yeah, that's what uh, we're here for. We're, we're nominated for a James Beard Award this year for Outstanding Bar, which was really wonderful for our team. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, in... Uh, during the pandemic, uh, our bars in a basement, as many cocktail bars seem to find themselves. And the, the first floor was being converted uh, to a gluten-free bakery, which unfortunately wasn't able to continue construction. Um, so we turned that into a um, 
uh, neighborhood bar that uh, serves like really just like fun beer, wine, cocktails, and food until 2 a.m. every day in in Durham, which is a big change. Maybe not for folks in New York to be able to eat late, but um, certainly having something reliable that's open all the time uh, was something Michelle and I really want awesome. to commit to. And um, uh, I'll let Michelle tell you more about that space as we go on. But uh, we also, our big pandemic move was we created a burger shop um, in North Carolina. Bars, as defined by the uh, ABC boards, weren't allowed to open at all. So we converted our whole concept into a backyard smash burger restaurant that, um, you know, we set up griddles outside and Michelle painted the whole area. We rolled out AstroTurf um, and we did that for a whole year to like sustain our staff and, you know, pay the bills. Uh, we served cocktails there too. And and that became a really cool, integral part of, uh, I think of Durham. Um, it's called Queen Burger. And luckily uh, last year we, we took over a space down by our uh, minor league baseball stadium and Queen Burger now has a home where you can get a, the best Negroni out of a lemonade bubbler you've ever had and, uh, <laughs> and, and a smash burger at the same time. So um, it's, it makes- it's a really cool concept. Wait a sec. Is it, is it in the Bulls stadium? Oh, so it's not in it, but it's along the left field wall. So if you were walking ah. to the stadium, you would, you would be able to yeah, go. Really, but that's incredible. I want to back up two steps. So you mentioned something about um, bars, the, the ABC not allowing bars to open. Was that during the pandemic? Is that what you meant? Right. During the pandemic, there was mm. the way that the govern the governor or the, the government defined everything and broke, you know, like what can open, what can open, what has capacity limits, what's oh, doesn't was, was based on your ABC permitting. And we have a special permit down here. It's actually now defunct, but it was a, called a private club, which was the, the Southern definition of a bar. Um, and those were just sort of like, you can't open no matter what. So we had to figure out something to do. So we basically just started a new business behind the bar. Wow. Right. So all these things are almost in a complex. You're downstairs. Queens is up. up. Queens is on top of it. And then the burger shop's maybe like three blocks away. Okay. Got it. That's great. So just, just out of curiosity, what's to stop someone from doing the the Homer Simpson thing of like, you know, opening a bar in his garage and being like, bar? I see no bar. This is a hunting club. You know, it's like, what bar is? Clearly, this is a hamburger restaurant, my good sir. Like, where's the what, where was the line there? And what were some of the, uh, I don't know, I the pandemic workarounds are always fascinating to me. Yeah, I'm not sure that Michelle and I will ever have as high level of discussions with folks in the city and state government as we did trying to like be like this is how we interpret this this order this this you know decree or whatever (laughs) eventually we got enough people that would like uh, sign off or turn a blind eye and um you know we're willing to willing to say these are extraordinary times so maybe there's some extraordinary measures but i don't think they would allow for the same same homer simpson bar in uh, in 2023 yeah um Michelle, I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, one of the focuses of the bar, uh, I understand from the things I've read over time, is a lot about the design, and you are integral to that, and up to and including even glassware. You're, you're making some glassware or serviceware, at least? Yes. Um, I make some cocktail glasses that we use for our signature cocktail, the Bee Durham. Um, they're just simple little short rocks glasses with a little bit of texture on one side. Um and I also make shot glasses with our logo on them. And the bar top is actually tiles that I made one by one with a pattern wow. running throughout them. Um, yeah. As a guy who has and has had many tile top bars, that sounds daunting right there. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're hexagonal tiles. 
uh, with like a river pattern running through them. And there's probably yeah. about 3000 of them. Um, they were definitely some <laughs> years involved in that <laughs> in the completion, in the completion of that project. Um, but yeah, we wanted to really integrate design and taste into our bar. So it's really a holistic concept. Um, and I think the ceramic glassware just adds a little extra piece of, you know, delight for people coming in and getting handed that as something different that they don't get in a lot of places. Yeah, that sounds very unique. Can you dig a little deeper into what you mean when you say a holistic experience in a cocktail bar? Like what what other uh, you know, methods are you employing to make that a reality? Yeah, so as a, as a basement bar, it really is a transformative experience, I think, to walk downstairs from the outside. Our, the front of our building is ugly. It's this old beat up brick facade. You walk in through these office doors and then you start down the stairs. And I painted the stairwell with a gradient of blue that gets deeper, gets a deeper, darker blue as you go down. Um, and then you open the door into Kingfisher and it's just this environment that you probably wouldn't expect from the outside. It's this beautiful jewel tone colors. It's really dark down there. Um, there's some warm wood tables and a warm wood accent wall. So just from walking in, you already, your expectations, I think, are changed by the environment that you're walking into. It's a, it's a beautiful space. We paid a ton of attention to detail. It's a very personal space. I have not only created the bar top, but I also have a couple of my grandmother's paintings in the space. And my father is a photographer, and there's a whole wall featuring pictures of mushrooms that he took <laughs> on our local river here. Um, and then one of my friends who lives on a farm is also a carpenter and he built the tables out of this gorgeous reclaimed wood. Um, so it's a very personal detail oriented space. And I think that sets the tone where you're expecting something really good from the cocktails mm. before you even get them. And then, you know, uh, Sean, you mentioned a minute ago, uh, something that you don't hear often when we talk about bars more, I think is in tune with the restaurant lingo. You said farm driven uh, cocktail bar. Now, I used to live in North Carolina, and I worked in kitchens back then. Um, and I understand that. Well, having lived in twelve states and cooked in eleven of them, I always say the the place that had the best, uh, you know, sources of foods coming out of the ground was North Carolina. And I have a lot of stories about how farmers would come to the back door of the restaurant and just knock on the door and say, you know, I, I just, you know, picked a whole truckload of corn. Do you want it? And we'd of course say yes or what have you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about a farm to, to drink. What's going on when you say that? Yeah, um, I think that was a, a kind of a decision that we, we concluded on, I think based on a lot of how Michelle and I eat for sure. And um, the, the culture that had been built up in Durham, especially in this food scene prior to its opening, um, was so connected with uh, local farms and like being resourceful and respectful of, of of the products you're getting. Um, and then I think lastly, you know, North Carolina has a lot of great qualities, but it is not, uh, there could, you would be hard pressed to open an Amori Amargo here, the access to esoteric. I was and, hard pressed to do it in New York. <laughs> your, your back bar would just be much smaller. You'd have to rely on just Campari a lot more. Um, yeah. But the, we, the access, because we're a control state, is just not quite as broad. Um, sure. You know, we certainly have, more than enough liquor and to, to, to make a bar, but there isn't, there isn't an angle where I felt like, you know, you would have to really spend so much time 
sourcing to open a mezcal bar here um, and right. they do it but it's you know it's like building a deep wine program it takes years to like really do right so um i think we also thought um letting farms lead the way and 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 produce and flavors um really gives us an opportunity to to do something distinct and and you know kind of uh constantly creative um so on that note you know we we try and roll with the seasons um, we're, we're really big on if we can get it here locally or sourced well, we'll take it. And if we can, we'll preserve it. And in the winter, we'll figure out, you know, like what we're, what we're working with. Um, we're not, we're not a bar where you'll find, uh, pineapples or coconuts often, um, or really maybe ever. Um, but we, we do try and really present produce as the reason for us making drinks. And I think that's led to some really interesting, creative cocktails that come out of here. Um, because we're always searching for, uh, you know, a new mechanism to to extract flavor. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think that you know boundaries uh, elevate creativity, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, what, I mean, speaking of of boundaries, what does that look like now? Like, what is? I mean, in the, it's easy to imagine what that might look like in the summertime when, like, you know, everything's, you know. It, Bountiful. Ripe and bountiful. Thank you. That was the that was the B word I was searching for. I was like blossoming. No, but yeah, when all the fruit is like juicy and tasty and delicious, and you can pick it right off the tree and eat it. But like this time of year, what is what does that look like? What do you all feature on your menu? And do you have to work a little bit harder to maintain this this concept in the winter time when everything's kind of frozen and gross? We definitely have to work harder in the winter time. Um, it it helps if we had work if we have worked hard in the summertime. So. Um, we have currently, we have part of our menu, which is our preserved cocktail series, which is done with all ingredients that we figured out how to, you know, save from the summer. So we created a black cherry tomato jam that we, you know, canned and, and held. Ooh. Um, and now that's in this sort of, uh, hard to describe, uh, uh, stirred vaguely bloody Mary, but not like nighttime sipper. Um, you know, other things we've done, it's, it's as, it's as much as like, you know, um, there's a there's a now uh, defunct farm called Four Leaf Farm that had one lemon tree and we bought all the lemons off them one year um, and, <laughs> and, and you know well we juiced the lemons and we made like a special cocktail for them one night and then we you know peeled the lemons and made it wasn't a limoncello but it was you know, basically a, the lemon oil extract and then we would figure out how to make that the centerpiece of the cocktail um, so that becomes like you know the star um, so we're pretty resourceful on that front. But we, there are a couple things here that are always available, like sweet potatoes. Um, our bar manager, Casey Liebes, um, if she was on your show, she would nerd out about um, the way uh, sugar uh, reacts and, and give you a million, like a deep dive into amylies and stuff. But she basically spent six months figuring out how to really make sweet potato into a shining star cocktail ingredient that doesn't come off as starchy or nothing. Um, I mean, it, so she, she has a stirred cocktail. It's named, it's called Mr. Sweet Potato, which is a pretty bland name, but it's the name of the guy. It was the nickname of the guy who had, who bred the Covington Sweet Potato, which is like our, our main potato down here, but it's a stirred sort of old fashioned style drink, but it just pops with sweet potato. And I think that's actually a really good example of the cocktails we make, which are like, if we say it tastes like this, like we really want it to taste like that. Like we want to hit you over the head with the flavors that we're looking to extract. That's amazing. Although I, I, I have to say not to Monday morning quarterback this, but 
Mr. Sweet Potato Head? Did that not <laughs> I mean, yeah, was, that's that not, was that not on the, the idea board? Kingfisher yeah, is really great at a lot of things. I think we would not be nominated for best cocktail names ever. I if I <laughs> if I could get away with it, we might be the place that just calls it sweet potato or number one or something like that. Sure. It's a little pretentious maybe for the, our vibe. The, the mace model. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Listen. Uh, it sounds to me like you do a deep dive, Michelle, on making the space interactive or, um, you know, more uh, immersive. Uh, obviously, the drinks rolling out from behind the bar are doing the same thing, going deeply with, uh, you know, reaching out to farms and buying them out of lemons or, or preserving things because winter is coming. Um, I would like to ask, though, and this may be an esoteric question that has no real answer, but like what in a market like Durham, North Carolina, what's the appreciation level that you're getting from your guests? Like, do they appreciate the, the depth of, and the links that you're going to? I think they really do. Um, I think people wouldn't, we sort of like to say we made the bar that we wanted to drink at. And we hoped there were other people who didn't know what they wanted, but that they would want the same thing. Um, and I think Durham is already such a close-knit community. Um and the, the farmer's market was already this bustling, wonderful place where everybody went and ran into each other every weekend. I think all of that coming together in this, you know, and I think the cocktail scene was was gaining gaining strength and getting bigger. But when we put that all together, I think people really appreciated it and really were like, oh, we didn't know that you could do this. But I think they love it. And Durham is a very artistic town. So I think the appreciation for the aesthetics was there immediately. Um, and I think people were surprised and, and really happy to have this cohesive thing show up. Yeah. I would, I would add that we, we are in a town that has been, I think, pushing like really great food for, you know, 15 years um, that had really set the table uh, in terms of, you know, what people were ready for flavor wise or ready to read on a menu. And then, um, I do want to shout out uh, our very close and friend and neighbor, Shannon Healy, who owns Alley 26, which is right across the street from um, our bar. Uh, they've been making amazing cocktails uh, and especially creating like a baseline of appreciation for, for well-crafted cocktails in this town for over 10 years now. And that I think that also really helps set the table for, for us to do something um, uh, boundary pushing and creative or, or a little more like specifically directional. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think the pattern always is sort of food lands first. Uh, and then, you know, after a couple of generations of people working under the people who started that, breaking off and opening their own places, then in comes this sort of drink parade. Uh, and I think that, you know, Durham's ripe for that. I lived there and worked there when it was definitely a food town uh, burgeoning. You know, I worked for both Ben Barker and Scott Howell down there um, at the Magnolia and Pops and uh, some shifts at Manos here and there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, well, I asked that question with knowing the answer already because it seems that, you know, the proof's in the pudding. As they say, you're you're all over the press. You've been uh, nominated for, as you mentioned earlier, uh, a James Beard Award. Uh, you've been recognized by Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, plenty of uh, outlets have written about you, so you're doing the right thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to come back and, and talk a little bit more about the things that have spun off and the things that you're doing now. Uh, but we've got to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back uh, with Sean and Michelle from Kingfisher down in Durham. Stay tuned, everybody. Every glass of wine tells a story. And these stories reveal hidden histories, flavors, passions, 
and sometimes they unravel our darkest desires. In Wine Enthusiast's newest podcast, Vinfamous, journalist Ashley Smith dissects the underbelly of the wine world. We hear from the people who know what it means when the product of love and care becomes the source of greed, arson, even murder. Each episode takes listeners into the mysterious and historic world of winemaking and the crimes that have since become, well, infamous. This podcast pairs well with wine lovers, history nerds, and crime junkies. So grab a glass of your favorite and follow the podcast to join as we delve into the twists and turns behind the all-time most shocking wine crimes. Follow Vinfamous on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and be sure to follow the show so you never miss a scandal. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today we have Sean and Michelle from Kingfisher, Queen Burger, and Queenies down in Durham, North Carolina, home of the Durham Bulls. We were just talking about that a little <laughs> bit during the break. I always I always like whenever I get the opportunity to hijack this podcast briefly and turn it into a baseball-based show. But I was really stoked to hear that y'all had opened up a spot that was, you know, right there if I ever wind up back at that at that stadium going to another uh, Durham Bulls game again which I've been to before lovely minor league stadium lovely little part of uh, the town and the state and I wanted to ask a little bit about um, I think I feel like I can use this word again because we haven't had to say it nearly as much in 2023 as we have for the the three years prior to it but I wanted to hear a little bit about the pivot from uh, Kingfisher to Queens and uh, Queenies and Queenburger and kind of what that was what that was like for y'all and how you eventually settled on okay so you know we can't open up a a bar what what do we want to do next what is this how are we going to turn these constraints into creativity I want to hear a little bit about kind of the the, the process behind that and also the name because I hear the name has an interesting <laughs> story too yeah so um, the the way that all of these things happened, I think some people in, in town maybe think we're like, we really like push to like do new stuff, but it actually, it was pretty organic. Um, so Kingfisher had been open for eight months when the pandemic began, um, which was wild, but uh, truthfully, like we were talking about, yeah, we were talking earlier about whether, 
Durham embraced us or not. Durham had embraced us so much that we actually were in a, a decent position going into that, which is kind of striking after eight months. Um, so we closed and as many people did, we sort of waited with um, bated breath on like whether this is a temporary thing or a long thing. And um, Michelle and I quickly started to do this uh, virtual happy hour. Um, so at every day at 4.30, we would get on Instagram Live and teach people how to make drinks. And after we did it for 100 days in a row, and that's oh. where uh, we we talked to other, Michelle and I, uh, we all we all chatted on there. And we, we'd have great guests from all over the country that would just like come on and talk, uh, Dave Arnold and Kara Newman and, uh, and friends in different places, uh, Joe Stinchcomb in, in Oxford, um, Mississippi. And I don't know, it was just, it was really fun. Um, and then we we kind of I think Michelle and I came to the realization that one pod, that wasn't going to pay the bills and this was going to be a long thing. Um, two, getting mildly drunk at four thirty every day is not super healthy. I also <laughs> I also I that's think that's why it, this is only a weekly podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then I had taught I had taught a hundred days of cocktails, and I said I think I'm out. I don't know how much more I could teach <laughs> the general public. Um, but it was it was really cool, and I think Michelle would say this as well. The best thing that came out of it was we had you know thirty people who were like dedicated tune in people, and it became like a community. Um, I think the, one of the coolest things we did during that period, and not to go on a too long a tangent, was we did this like uh, safe uh, pottery class, basically. And Michelle left bags of clay out behind the bar for our like loyal like tuner inners, I guess, uh, to come get. And then she taught everyone on the show how to make like a pinch pot shot glass. And they all made them. And then they brought them back, left them behind the bar again. And then Michelle took them to her studio, fired them. And now there are like 25 like homemade, like little shot ceramic shot cups that are like all super personal. Some people are incredibly good at it. Someone made the best Kingfisher out of clay I'd ever seen. Um, Michelle, wow. I've never seen her try to do one. I'm sure hers would be better, but um, like, and now they're just like up there at the bar and if they come in, they can use it and, you know, drink out of. So I think that like that, that That's was incredible. a big, that was a big, cool jumping off point for us um, to figure out what to do next. Um, so, you know, I think we had two issues. One was we couldn't open the bar and we didn't have a kitchen to operate out of like with a hood. So we couldn't create like a product inside that um, we could sell reliably. We, we did, you know, cocktail kits and we did all this stuff, but it was, um, it was, it was always like way too band-aidy and not quite stopgap enough, especially for our employees, um, who honestly saved the business. You know, they were, mm -hmm. they, many of them decided to work when they could have just taken the huge unemployment bump, um, and, and didn't. And a lot of them, I mean, most, many of them are still with us, um, uh, which, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm sure I don't say enough, but like this place is open because like six or seven people decided to stick around and work in the rain basically. Um, so with that said, we, we got all together and Michelle and I kind of came up with a new concept, which was smash burgers. For some reason, smash burgers were having a real moment during that time. Um, I love, uh, uh, I'm, I might mispronounce his name, but Moats is his last name. Um, and the, he has the burger show. Mm -hmm. He's so funny and so creative. And, um, 
we basically just YouTubed our way to making like a, like a burger that we thought we could do. And I think burgers are a great or a great avenue for us because I wasn't sure we'd ever be able to hire like a cook or anyone with any kitchen background. And we only had bartenders that worked for us. So a burger, if you really think about it, especially a smash burger is as much a system and like a rhythm that you can get in, like being behind a bar as it is cooking. Like it's not so much like, can I tell if this burger's done or can I build this sauce or do I need all this like different technique? It's like smash, smash, cheese, onions, like it's (laughs) like a rhythm. And once you get in the rhythm, it almost feels like when you're in that really great flow state behind a bar where like, you know, you're the somehow the master of the universe and everything could be going wrong, but you're just like picking up the right bottle and not thinking about it. Um, and, you know, so we set up a Blackstone griddle. We like, you know, Michelle painted this huge mural. We bought some like used AstroTurf that we laid over this grungy parking lot um, and put out tables and spread them out and had people like enter down this alley that happens to be behind a hotel next to us. And for a year through rain or shine, and especially early on, like if it was raining, people would just eat the burger like under their table that we didn't even give them chairs for because we wanted them to, we weren't sure how long anyone should spend together. So they just sit under the, they'd sit under this high top table and like eat a burger because they were just like starved for social interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And it just became this like great thing. Um, we tried to keep it on honest and true to uh, Kingfisher. So we sourced, we worked with this farm that's 45 minutes down the road to did like a custom beef blend for us. This like, high fat grass fed beef. Um, we get cheese from Ash County cheddar, which is like up near the Virginia border, but it's North Carolina cheese. We slice every day. Um, Michelle kind of used her recollection of a veggie burger. She made a long time at a, another restaurant. Um, we have a really great veggie burger. Um, and then we did cocktails. Um, so now where it is now, um, is a, is a physical location that, um, so it's co- to, to, um, really rambling but to touch on the name <laughs> queen burger we named it queen burger because our bar was called kingfisher but obviously there's a king and a burger related restaurant chain in the world so but we but we but we wanted we wanted the name to be very quickly indicative of what we were doing so we went the other way um and went with queen burger uh and now queen burger exists in a really great spot down by our ballpark the doors open all the way. So like we can basically open the whole storefront. We've got AstroTurf out front there. Michelle had, uh, had our contractors dye the concrete inside green, the same murals painted in there. It feels it's got string lights and we do just like, we still do smash burgers and cocktails. So, um, you know, you can get an incredible, the cheapest and, and very good Negroni out of a lemonade bubbler that we just dispense and serve. We got beer, we got wine, we got, you know, charred, charred jalapeno margaritas. So we try and take like the ethos of what we do at Kingfisher, just fresh and delicious and balanced cocktails and just do them in a kind of quick service environment. And I, you know, I think it's, it's worked really well. Um, that reason. And so I'll, I'll, I'll shut up now and let Michelle chime in, but to segue to her, the other space we have is called Queenies and the name it's called Queenies because we thought it happened before Queen Burger and we thought Queen Burger was going to evolve into Queenies, which was going to be how we kept the brand, but took it beyond just being one smash burger. So, you know, on on a food concept, Queenies is a neighborhood bar and grill style restaurant. So it's, you know, Americana classics, 
that are like done at, like that are chefed up or chefy. Um, and uh, that burger was going to be the centerpiece. So we wanted to save the name, but make it a little bit more like, you know, a, a mythical grandmother that it was named after. Um, but now it's instead just very confusing to say all of them quickly and for anybody <laughs> to, you know, go where they're, you know, know where they're going. But um, Michelle can, Michelle is the lead of Queenies and can certainly tell you more about that uh, awesome concept. So Michelle, do you have more cooks at Queenies than are there still bartenders making the smash burgers at the Queens Burger? No, we have a we have a chef here, uh, Jorge Ruiz, who's doing a great job. Um, and we have yeah, bigger menu, sort of elevated bar food. We made a point to have a couple of big salads on the menu, um, so you can eat healthy at two a.m. if you really want to. Oh, that's great. I always tell myself at 10 p.m. that I'm going to eat healthy at 2 a.m., but it never really works out that <laughs> yeah, way, does yeah. it? Yeah, we don't sell a lot of salads past probably 10. <laughs> yeah, the, the product mix suggests that salads are an aspirational thing at 2 a.m. too, not a, not yeah. a thing. Yeah, but you can't take it off the menu or other, otherwise there's a revolt, right? People want the choice. They just don't want to choose it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so what is the sort of ethos and drive at Queenie's then? What's the, what's the, what's the cuisine and what's the cocktail pairings like? Yeah. So we're much more casual. We wanted to be a neighborhood bar that's open all the time. Um, every, we're open seven days a week. Claude's going to chime in here. Oh. <laughs> that's great. It's radio. Nobody, nobody can yeah. see him. He's got to be heard. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what happens when you bring the head of PR on sometimes. They always have notes for whatever you're saying. Yep. Um, so we also, the space was an old um, bank and law office. So Ooh. there are a couple of side rooms, including a large safe, which I'm currently in. We turned it into a podcast recording studio. Um, <laughs> it's got these. So we wanted to be a, com right, a community space that people could use for all sorts of different things. Um, so this so, other yeah, one I want to touch on that. I want to touch on that too. So you're, you're allowing the community to use this space. Do they rent it or is it just you clock out the time and you get that time? Yeah, it's free. There's just a calendar Amazing. online. So you just sign up for your slot and you come in and use it. You can bring your own equipment. We have some very basic equipment in here. Um, I soundproof the room. I mean, it's already two foot thick concrete around the room. It has double doors to make it extra quiet. And then I built these panels to fill the room to absorb any echoing sounds that Sounds really good. And people have been using it more and more. It's really great to see people come in here and some people record music, some people do podcasts, some people just record a conversation with a person that they want to have. Um, I, I absolutely love this idea. Amazing. Yeah. And even people that don't use it, you know, I think it really benefits us that people, people like seeing that it's here. It's, um, it's just a good thing to have for the community. We had the space to do it. Now, our staff occasionally, I think, would wish that we had a little more storage <laughs> instead of piling things up here and there in every nook and cranny, but um, I think it's a, it's a great addition to the space. Um, and then we also have another room that I turned into a bookshop um, that is sort of a library bookshop. You can take the books and just read them here, or you can buy them and take them home. Um, and that's another little spot. I built a window seat in there. You can just cozy up in there and spend some time in there. Um, it's another spot that, you know, if you're here by yourself, um, waiting for friends, it's, it's a great, or you're just in a loud bar and you're overwhelmed, you can go in there. It's a, it's a funny little spot for introverts to go hang out in, um, <laughs> or, or people to just go in and grab a book, grab their friends. It's a good conversation starter. Cool. 
that's incredible. Um, and I, um, I really can't wait to get down there and check it out. And uh, honestly, I'm, I'm already thinking about hijacking this uh, community podcast uh, uh, um, idea. Um, we've got a space that might be the right thing for something like that. And we've been trying to figure out what to do with it. So this is you're sparking ideas for me. Um, but I thought you were talking about hijacking their studio. I was like, okay, sweet road trip. Here we go. Yeah, well, come that, on. That, that too. We can go down and catch a game at the stadium, grab a smash burger, and uh, and record a podcast down there. Um, man, it's been really great having the three of you on with us today. Um, <laughs> young Claude chiming in his first podcast uh, of many, I'm sure. Um, uh, have you got anything uh, coming up? Uh, in the near future that you want to talk about real quickly before we wrap the show? Whew. Uh, no, we've been opening <laughs> restaurants quickly. We did Queen Burger and Queenies within a year of each other. Um, I, I think we're, we're really um, excited to be, you know, still here and a part of Durham and growing with Durham. It's a wonderful town. Um, I always tell people that maybe, you know, maybe have never been here that if you need like a quick weekend trip, that you want to be food and beverage centric post up in downtown Durham. It is so walkable. You've got yeah. 20, 25 amazing like food and beverage outlets, like within four blocks, five blocks of each other. It's, mm -hmm. it's incredibly walkable, catch a ball game. Um, I, I know I'm, I'm pumping Durham a little bit, but, but it really right. is like an incredible town to operate in, uh, an incredible town to live in and an incredible town to visit. Um, I think all our spots are amazing, but, um, you know, I, I, I think if you, you'd be hard pressed to throw a baseball around here and not hit a restaurant that was worth going to or bar. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been there in quite a long time and I would, I would agree. And it's, plus it's just a beautiful part of the country, frankly. Well, listen, really great to have both of you on uh, the show today to talk about everything you're doing down there at Kingfisher, uh, Queenies and, and Queen Burger. Um, and you can be found at, uh, Kingfisher Durham, all one word on Instagram. You got Instagram for the burger shop as well? Yeah, the burger shop is Eat Queen Burger. And then and then Queenies is Queenies Durham. Right on. We'll get those in the show notes and up on social media and we'll tag in everything like that. But uh, we have to wrap it up. Uh, that's it for this episode of the Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Please tune in for many more shows just like this one. Head over to heritageradionetwork.org uh, and check out the donate button where you can donate to keep shows just like ours on air. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in once again. Cheers, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. It's gonna get you.